Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health All Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Before we get started, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube, linked in the description below. Hello, everyone. This is Conrad Meyer and Rory Bellina. And on this episode of Health Law Talks, we're going to be talking about restrictive covenants and non-competes uh, in healthcare and how that affects providers and employers alike. And that could be hospitals or group practices, but basically employers versus providers on restrictive covenants, specifically on non-competes. So, Rory, what do you think? Non-compete. What is that? What does that mean? So non-compete in summary is a provision in most contracts for physicians or allied health professionals, predominantly physicians, that allows the their employer or their proposed employer to put in their restrictions on where they can go to practice for a certain amount of years or where they better where they can't go to practice a certain amount of years after their employment terminates, sometimes with cause, sometimes without cause. It all varies. But basically it's it's language in their contract that says when this contract is up, you, you cannot practice anywhere in this parish since we're in Louisiana or in other states, different, various counties around where you're currently practicing. So, but, what, but what's the purpose? I mean, why, why, if I'm an employer and I am spending all this money to bring in a provider into my hospital or my practice, what, what, what's the basis? What am I thinking? Why do I need a non-compete for this person I'm bringing in? Sure. So most providers or, or their proposed employers, when they're arguing for the non-compete, will say, look, we're bringing in this physician. We're going to have to train them on EHR. We're going to have to hire mid-levels and nurses and staff for them. We're going to have to expend significant time, money, resources bringing this doctor on. And we don't want to teach him our whole system, get him set up, get, get a flow of patients in. And then he abruptly leaves and goes and opens up his own practice or goes to a competitor right next door and takes that whole patient flow with him after we've, you know, expended all these resources on him. That's the biggest argument or the biggest reason why employers want these not competes to stay in place because they feel that they are expending significant resources to get these doctors in mm -hmm. over the, just the generic salary that they're right. paying them. And once they get them in, they want to keep them. And if they leave, they want them to be forced to go far enough to where really the patients don't go with them. A lot of these non-competes that we see in Louisiana will prevent you from practicing in certain parishes. And the way that our parishes are kind of laid out and, and just travel-wise, it forces the doctor to go so far away that your average patient is going to say, I'm not moving with him. I'm just going to stick here and go see the person that they hire after him or someone else in his group. So in, in basic, I, I get where you're going, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I think, I think there is an employer that has a right to protect their business, whether that's a hospital or another group practice. They don't, want, uh, they don't want someone to set up shop right across the street from them, and suddenly now you have a competitor, right? right. And this, person, this is the same person you just brought in kind of into your house, and they've learned all these new techniques. They learned all the kind of the way to do it, right? Right. And then suddenly you're looking across the street, and they have a shop across the street. So, so you, you, would you agree that there is some benefit to having a non-compete from the employer perspective? Absolutely. I mean, if if I put on my employer hat, where I'm representing the employer or the practice, and and not the individual physician, 
I would I would make all those arguments and more. I would say, like we discussed, we're bringing on support staff to help you. We're teaching you and adding you onto our EHR. We're giving you keys to the kingdom. Wait a minute, for the benefit of the public, uh, EHR. Oh, electronic health records. That's right. We got to so the 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 the, uh, the various uh, you know acronyms for healthcare. You, you can have a, a list of them. So sure, but yeah. So, so I agree with you. Bringing them in, showing them the ropes, giving them access to this various uh, proprietary information. A lot of times, you know, absolutely. And all this information that these doctors are giving is all about. It. They they're giving a lot of patient metrics. They're right. giving different forms, procedures, manuals. And as the employer, you don't want them to all of a sudden take their patient list, take a copy of all the forms, figure out all the, the correct pricings and where that sweet spot is on what to charge for things, and then literally go open up next door or a, or a few streets down at one of your biggest competitors and suck all those patients out. Now let's take the flip side. So sure. now I'm, I'm, the, I'm the physician, I'm the provider. So I'm, I'm the one contracting with the employer. What are the advantages, disadvantages, in your opinion, with respect to the non-competes or restrictive covenants from that standpoint? Sure. I, I typically struggle to see advantages of a non-compete if I'm on the individual physician side or the provider side. I typically tend to say that uh, I would want to advocate for no non-compete at all, or if we're going to do it, we have to find something that the provider is comfortable with. Because a lot of times in these employment agreements, you're getting physicians that are coming from out of state or that are coming straight out of residency, mm-hmm. and they might feel comfortable signing up with a big system. And these right. big systems tend to have multiple practice locations, you know, outpatient office here, ancillary services there. And when they get this employment agreement, everything looks great. Mm-hmm. Their compensation is great. There's loan forgiveness. There's moving cost allocations. So basically, the big employer is rolling out the red carpet Absolutely. saying, here's everything that you can possibly dream of, and I'm going to give it to you. But there's a non-compete. And so if and when you decide to leave, right. you cannot work in any six parishes around here. So what that forces the physician to do is they think, okay, well, I'll worry about that down the road. Well, down the road typically always comes. And that's when we get the phone calls and we say, can you look at my employment agreement? I right. think I have a non-compete. And we look at it, and pretty much when they say who they're working for, we know, okay, it's going to be this non-compete or it's going to be that non-compete based on length of time and parishes. And the issue and, and the hard part explaining to these physicians is, you know, they've purchased a house, they've gotten married, they're having kids, they're established in an area, but they hate the place that they work or they're ready to leave or they're ready to move on or open their own practice. And, right. they, and they remember, oh, right out of residency when I signed this employment agreement, Someone did tell me about the non-compete. It's sort of the gotcha moment, right? Yes. And, yes. You, re- and you realize that, uh, that you know, hey, this is, uh, is going to happen. That's when, that's, when you, that's when they run into the issue. Conrad, what do you typically do when a doctor comes to you with their employment agreement and it has a pretty standard non-compete, whether it be one parish, two parishes, all 64 parishes? Where do you typically start the conversation with them? Well, usually, I mean, that's a, it's a very good question, uh, and, it, and it happens frequently. I mean, frequently I, I, I get the contract and I look at it, and usually when I, when I start with a contract, I look at it, and the first thing I'm looking at, Rory, is how do I get out of this? I mean, I, we're signing right. a new contract. Everyone's all happy. You know, we're starting the marriage, right? Everything's I'm looking, great. I'm looking about what happens when we get divorced. How do we get out of it? So the first thing I'm looking at, in addition to the termination provisions, is, is I'm focusing on the non-compete. Right. Looking at the restrictive covenants. And I go back to the, uh, to the doctor, and I usually say, look, 
this is where the statute is. It's it's in Title Twenty Three, Section Nine Twenty One, and uh, basically we're we're looking at the the provision. I think it's under Section C. It talks about hey, this is the geographic area. It's got to be two years. It's, it's you know specify the parishes. So let's see if that non compete actually does that. And a lot of times, and I got to tell you, well, the big systems we know uh, have done this so many times that that it's sort of evolved and and you look at it and it looks compliant on its face. Right. However, some of the group practices or smaller employers a lot of times when we get the non-compete, I look at it and it's defunct on its face. It doesn't comply. So, so in those situations, I'll just tell the doctor or or the provider do nothing. Right. Do absolutely nothing. Let it fail. Let it fail on its face, and and that way you'll have no non-compete. And, of course, they want a backup. They say, well, how do you know it's going to fail? How do you know it's defunct? And we go back to the statute, mm-hmm. and we look at 921, and, and we go over that, and I say, this is why it's going to fail. Here's the jurisprudence. And they didn't mention this, so they added. And what uh, are some reasons that you've seen it fail? Because I know I've seen it as well and given doctors that exact advice that this would not hold up, so let's wait and see if if you decide to leave, and then if right. they decide to enforce right. it, and then we can have this information in our back po- pocket. So let's look at that. So so some of the reasons that it fails would be because uh, they listed parishes in the non-compete that they have zero offices. So how can you restrain a physician or a provider from providing services in parishes where you have no business? Right. Any judge would look at that and say, absolutely not. Right. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is the, uh, and I think this debate on this about using a mile radius, absolutely versus parish. So I've and the, se- the courts have been split on this, from what I've seen. Some courts are okay with it in the more rural areas. Some right, the, some are not. So it, there's a split on that. So and, and that's sort of a risk. So we'll say, look, in this case, they say 40 miles, 25 miles from the place of business. But then again, what? what's the restriction? So in other words, how many miles do you need to be from the practice or from the business, right, in order to be safe? Correct. Is it five miles? Is it 10 miles? And and I don't think there's any jurisprudence that that speaks to that. There's nothing that says that. But what, uh, what, interestingly, the restrictive covenants do is they have that provision in there, some provision, usually, if it's good, that says that should a court find this unenforceable, that the diameter of the geographic location, if it's a mile radius, be reduced until the court says, well, then this would be enforceable. So in other words, if it's a 40 mile and the court says, no, it's not enforceable. And the court says, well, we think a five mile would be, well, then that would, what the the contract would say, you insert the five miles. So those are the, usually the instances I see Mm -hmm. that immediately I'll say, Hey, we're, we're good. Let it go. Um, I haven't seen one on a big system, uh, a big system, mind you, and I think that's changed recently. I think you know what I'm talking about. That had thirty something parishes mm-hmm. on it at one time, right, right. which is just mind boggling. And they'll put in there thirty parishes plus any parish in which we open a future office. Right, right. Which, so, which who knows when that would right. be? Right. So it's basically covering the entire state. And getting back to the language of the actual restriction, it, it it's more than just. You're a surgeon. You can't go practice surgery in the parish next to us. It's everything. They want you to have, uh, for some of these bigger systems, the non-compete is not just you practicing your specialty. It's you having a direct ownership, an indirect ownership, you being on a advisory panel, panel you being a, a part of a board. Like It's a very broad restriction. They basically want you to have 
no access to any form of medicine, whether it be active or even passive ownership. And I don't even know if that can be done. That's a restraint of trade. I don't absolutely. I, I, and, and sadly enough, the problem is is that when a provider wants to get out and they want to challenge, like like say the employer issues a cease and desist letter and says, hey, you're, you're practicing within the restrictive covenant. You need to, to cease and desist immediately. A lot of times, they don't have, the, the providers don't have the money. They don't Correct. want to challenge it. They don't want to have the money. Correct. They don't want to spend it. And I totally understand mm-hmm. that. And so a lot of times, they just capitulate and say, okay, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll stop and we'll leave or we'll do right. whatever. Right. And, it's, and, that's, and that's really the issue. Or it gets settled. And a lot of these don't yeah. get challenged because unless you're going to a – big system or a big practice that's willing to really fight your former non-compete, a lot of times it just gets settled. So we don't have clear guidance on where these goes. And it also kind of handicaps these providers when they're, they get a great offer from somewhere else, but their future employer says, do you have a non-compete? And they say, well, yes, I do. And they turn over a copy of it. And then their future employer rescinds the offer and they say, oh no, we don't want to be involved in that at all right. because we know that your right, current right. employer is going to sue you and they're going to name us and we're going to get brought into this. We don't want you anymore. We want nothing to do with it. Right, right. right. So I, I think that, you know, a big goal of this episode of the podcast, we've kind of talked about the history and the current status of the non-competes for physician providers. And, right. and interestingly enough, we have this new house bill re- presented by Representative Wright out of the Covington Mandeville area. And I think it's really interesting. It's currently, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about where it is right now, but, but I think it could ease some of these issues that we're having. So Connor, can you give us a little brief introduction on house bill 483? Sure. So representative Mark Wright in the house has, uh, has introduced a bill, uh, bill house bill 43, which basically is going to eviscerate non-competes, uh, for providers, which is very interesting. So it's going to take the non-competes, and it's still going to allow provide, large large providers or large employers to issue non-competes with respect to specialists, but not primary care. Correct. So they're no longer, according to the bill, it's very specific that uh, the, the primary care physicians, which includes family practice medicine, general internal meds, mm-hmm. general psych, uh, general peds, and, um, and obstetrics and gynecology, those practices are going to be considered primary care, and that uh, the, 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 the bill would allow uh, a primary care physician basically to not have a non-compete sure. at all. Why do you think he carved out the specialty versus primary care? Well, I think I think primary care is the frontline medicine. So they're, they're the ones in the frontline trenches that are seeing sort of the gatekeepers for right. patients that are going to fa- uh, funnel patients to specialists. So in order to you know free the the the, bond, the ties that bind them and allow people greater access to care, mm-hmm. they have come up with the idea of carving out the primary care specialists to allow them basically free free no restraint of trade. So, th- so that's why I, be- I think he purposely did that. And I can't, I can't speak for, for Representative Wright, but that's how I read the bill. And another thing that I really like that he put in here is this Section B1, which basically allows the non-compete to automatically end if you have been practicing at a uh, or practicing for an entity for three years or greater. So let's say under this language. Under the specialist, correct. Under this specialist, correct. So now we're looking at specialist. Going forward, right. if you make it three years 
and they give you a non-compete, but you get past those first three years, it ends. It sunsets. The non-compete sunsets and goes away. And I think the intent behind that is, okay, at that point, the employer has probably recouped their money and is making money on you now, and they're not worried about that turnover. You put in your time, right? You put in your time. It's time now. It's time to move forward. And allow that specialist, right, to be able to refrain him, you know, free him from any restraints of trade. Which I think is very fair for both the physician and for the the practice or the employer, because at that point, like you said, the employer's probably gotten their money back. And their biggest risk is, like you said, giving these these physicians that are coming to them, they're giving them loan repayments, uh, they're giving them moving expenses, they're giving them a sign-on bonus, a hefty first-year salary, because a lot of these physicians that move over, they get a base salary their first year or so, and then they switch over to a production or WRVU model. I think the, the goal behind this is that at this point, they're past that. You're probably not expending as much money on them anymore You've recouped, you've recouped your money, and right. now, is, now is a time to where, like you said, it can sunset, and there's not so much a concern of they've made it three years, they can leave now. So, so when let me ask you this. So in, in, the, in the bill, in 483, House Bill 483, there's also a provision about payouts. And I'm curious, when, when you have done contracts for providers and you've reviewed them, mm-hmm. uh, how often do you see these buyout provisions in, in the non-competes? I see the, uh, almost... All of them will have buyout language. Now, a lot of the time, the buyout language for the non-compete, it's either very vague or it's very high or both. So the buyout provision can be it is two years of your salary and all attorney's fees, all court costs if we have to enforce it. There's always language in there saying that they're allowed to get a temporary restraining order and an injunction without having a post of bond. So it can become very onerous for a doctor that's trying to leave and they see this language that if I even attempt to leave, my employer is going to get a restraining order against me. They don't have to post a bond. They can sure. get it immediately. I waive any rights that I have in regards to fighting the restraining order. Oh, and my buyout is two or three times my annual salary. So what I really like what Representative Wright did in this is he said that the buyout is no more than one year salary, and then it goes down or diminishes pro rata over three years. So mm-hmm. let's say you've got that three-year agreement or you decide to leave in year one, they take your one year salary, but then it goes down by thirds. And after three years, your buyouts are reduced to zero. Now, the only question I would have on this is defining salary, because the employer's goal is to get that salary number as high as possible. They're going to include, they're probably going to want to include your base salary, your benefits, bonus benefits, how much it costs for them to pay for your parking spot and your lunch pass and your gym membership. They're going to want all that in what's defined as a salary because they want your buyout to be as high as possible. So I could see this becoming, if and when this bill goes through, right. this this language on salary becoming a point of contention. Another thing that I really like you put in here going down the bill is Section C, which is something that you and I, yeah. and all of ours, we always argue and advocate for this, is that if you're terminated without cause, if your employer doesn't like the tie you wear that day and they terminate you, the non-compete goes away. And that's something that you and I have always want or you know advocated for putting in our provider agreements or, or our employer agreement, employment agreements for our physicians, mm-hmm. that exact language. And that's very important. Um, but not only that, though, it's, it's, it's without cause that not only does the non-compete not apply, but all of the things you mentioned earlier, 
some of the moving expenses, some of the expenses that were incurred by the hospital or the employer, for example, all those get wiped away. Absolutely. Because you, why should you be burdened with the expense of all of the, the gimmies, if you will, Correct. of getting, getting the, the provider into the uh, hospital or the group practice, and then suddenly they terminate you, and now all of a sudden you're asked to recoup uh, or to uh, repay all of those. Uh, so I agree. If it's a non, if it's terminated without uh, without cause by the employer, then everything should be wiped away. I, I agree, and I, I love that that's in here. The you know going down the bill. I also am a fan of you know we, we talk about the restricted travel geographic region for no greater than two years. So you're talking about section D one on the, on their geographic D1. region. And yeah. I know you had some comments on, you know, kind of defining what is their primary office and, and what issues have you seen with defining their primary office? Because if we're that's now, a, that's a tough one now putting on our employer slash hospital hat, you're going to want to say, well, they don't have a primary office. They travel around, they do rounds at this hospital. They do, you know, they do, visits at this outpatient center, they're going to want that primary office to be multiple offices to make the biggest non-compete area. Well, I think and that's, that's, that's true. And a lot of times, especially in large system employers, right, they always have that provision in there that you will, uh, you will be, uh, and, I, and I advocate for this, you primarily would be located at this facility, for example. However, you know, comma, but they always say we can move you around to wherever we might need you. But usually what we try to do is, is put some sort of a radius limitation, like within 25 miles, within 20 miles, so that your, your provider's not driving all the way across the state, right? So the, the only way I could think of would be their primary location and, and, and the parishes that surround that radius, I guess, you know, but again, though, the bill is, is pretty specific. It's right. like two contiguous parishes. Right. So, so even if the mile radius falls in a third parish, it wouldn't qualify. Right. And, and the, the, the last part before, you know, we're going to wrap this up and talk about the status of the bill and where it is as of today is section E kind of the, a little carve out. What do you think about this, this carve out for rural hospitals? I think it, I think it's interesting because it seems to me that what they've done is, is they basically given rural hospitals a pass because it's so difficult for them to, to, to retain specialists that there's no way, uh, you know, once they have them in the rural area, uh, you're going to want to keep them because, you know, as you know, access to care yes. is a very, is, I think, what's driving this. Yes. So especially rural access to care. So if you're a rural hospital and you have a specialist in your facility, then I can see why they did a carve out for that. I mean, to me, it's, it's a, it's a no, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a no brainer from that standpoint. Um, I think the rural hospital system would love this, uh, but I can understand why they yeah. did it. So, you know, briefly, let's wrap this up and talk about, you know, where this bill started, where it is now, where we hope it goes, obviously be passed and, and signed by the governor and, um, and, and then closing thoughts. So, you know, as of now, the bill is it, it made it through the House, made it through the House on a vote of 56 to 39. It's now in the Senate Committee on Commerce, Consumer Protection, and International Affairs. So that committee is reviewing it. I believe they're running out of time to review it, but uh, hopefully they get it and they get it back to the full Senate for a vote. And then hopefully it passes the full Senate and then goes to the governor for his, for his signature. So let me, let me play devil's advocate. Say it doesn't say it's stuck in committee. Are we going to see this next year? Are we going to see it come back? I think we're going to see this come back and come back and come back until something is there to protect the physicians. I really do. And there's a large advocate and lobbying group for the, the big hospital systems here that don't want this sure. for the reasons we talked about in the beginning. But I think that you're going to continue to get 
Senate and House representatives that are getting pressure and getting comments from their constituents, specifically physician constituents, that want these protections in place. Because what's happening is you're getting a great physician that comes here that goes to work for a big system or a practice that has a pretty onerous non-compete and they can't get out of it. So what are they going to do? They go over to Houston or they go over to Biloxi or Gulfport and we're losing our talent pool of physician providers mm -hmm. and we're losing them in the rural health areas. And it's becoming an issue where we don't want our good providers to leave because of this legal issue that, that, you know, we advocate on behalf of our physicians. We don't think should be there. No, we reached out to, to representative Wright for, uh, you know, to talk to the us author of the see, bill. Yes. Representative Wright to see if he would come on the show and, and talk to us a little bit about the basis for his bill and, and, and maybe answer a few questions about it. So uh, if we have a chance to hear from him, uh, that would be great. And if not, you know, we'll, we'll reach out to him maybe subsequently to see if he'll uh, come on and talk to us about the bill. But I think I agree with you. If it, if it doesn't happen now, it's going to, it's not now, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, right? Correct. I mean, if you look at Louisiana revised statute 23, there's protections in there for other type of, employees with different relationships. Yeah, it's not, it's not related just to, to physicians. I mean, that's just the simple the non-compete law for employers. Now, exactly. I mean, there's provisions in there that prevent um, car salesmen that are not allowed to have right. non-compete. So if, if we're going to start protecting different industries, we shouldn't be not protecting our, our healthcare providers, especially, you know, during this time of our life. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, again, uh, everyone, thank you very much. Rory, good commentary. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. And, uh, and that will wrap up another episode of Health Law Talks. That's Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. For more information or to contact us, please visit our website linked in the description below. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube.